right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Sally here had a chance to sit down last week with Kyle Porter of CBS to talk about his book, A Normal Sport. This is volume two. This is recapping the last year in golf. I cannot recommend it highly enough, which I'll make very, very clear. Throughout the course of the interview, the conversation, we kind of meander through the book a little bit, but kind of get sidetracked in a lot of different ways, talking about all the things that have happened this past year, the actual golf in some ways, Rory. Of course, we went deep in on Rory about an hour and a half in or so. It's, it, was a, it was a blast. Great talking with Kyle. Great to do it in person. And uh, again, I cannot recommend the book highly enough. It's just a very, very funny, refreshing, different look and summary of the year in golf, which I describe as we go through it. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Whoop, the official fitness wearable of the PGA Tour. If you are looking for the perfect fitness gift for yourself or your loved ones this holiday season, the Whoop is running a 20% off sale right now through December 18th. And if you don't know by now, Whoop is a sleek, screenless fitness wearable that tracks your sleep, recovery, and daily activity. We've all been wearing Whoop for years now at this point. The data it provides really is next level. It does all the same fitness tracking as the other fitness wearables out there, but uh, provides you with next level insights into your sleep and recovery. There's a reason that all the top pros on tours are wearing them. Like many people, the fitness journey is going to restart for me in January, having uh, a bit of data and a bit of responsibility on your wrist in terms of uh, you know how you're treating your body, the rest you're getting, you know when it's time to go harder in the gym, whatever that may be. It's just a great, great product. I cannot say enough great things about it. And you can go to whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com now and through December 18th and save 20% off site-wide on their 12 and 24-month memberships. Whoop.com, 20% off 12 and 24-month memberships. Here is Kyle Porter. All right, the book is called Rory, 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 and the author is with us right now here to tell us all about, you can gather what it's about from the, from the name of the book. Uh, Mr. Kyle Porter, welcome in. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been, uh, it, I did do a, I did a word search on the different names obviously in the book and different stuff rory wasn't our top name really yeah it was it was okay. a combination of tiger and cat <laughs> so if you if you if you add those together that was actually the uh the the bigger number live uh i won't say how many times that was mentioned in there but it was it was substantial it was a lot I have not finished the book. I got about three quarters of the way through it. We're recording this a little earlier than we were planning to because we uh, happen to be in the same city for for uh, for once, which is a rarity. I was pleasantly surprised reading it in terms of how much joy the year brought. Yeah, how much interesting stuff happened that wasn't necessarily about live. I guess I I don't know. There was just a, enough interesting content in it that wasn't about the things that I've hated about this year. I don't know if that was a conscious decision or thought in your mind. It, it covers the live part very well and thoroughly, but it's not necessarily a book all about live. No, it, the through line was live, right? Like in the same way that 2021, the through line was Bryson. I mean, that was like beginning yeah. to end. It was, it was, it just seems like forever ago. Oh my gosh. It feels like it was 15 years ago. But the through line for 2022 was live. So we talked a lot about, and we can get into like who contributed to the book and everything, but we talked a lot about, okay, how are we going to do the live thing? Are we going to do like a live only chapter? Are we going to, 
do like a choose your own adventure. Like here's how you see it through the eyes of Liv. Here's how the PGA tour saw it. And in the end we decided like Liv is the through line. We have to just weave it in and out of the entire book. But it was kind of purposeful by me to start the book off talking about the tiger and Charlie stuff. Cause that's kind of where we ended last year. Yeah. It was right before the P uh, the father son PNC championship. And that was, I felt like a really good sort of launching pad for this is not just the fracturing of golf and everything that happened with Liv. It was also Tiger and Charlie. It was also Shuffler winning four times. And so it really, I, I felt like even for me in my head set the tone, the Tiger and Charlie stuff set the tone for the rest of the book because there there was so much joy in that. I mean, that was the, the PNC last year was like, it, it was one of the days or two days stretches of the year, right? We did not schedule like a recap for that time period. And I, I remember and at that week, I put on the calendar for next year. I was like, we need a recap of the PNC. Like, <laughs> the fall is going to kind of center around this event. If yes. Tiger and Charlie are going to play in it. Like it was legitimately captivating. Some of the Charlie Wood stuff, I think, creeps a lot of us out and worries a lot of us. But yeah. At the same time, Claire's tweet, I go back to that all the time of like, there's one more person that's more exciting to watch <laughs> play golf than Tiger, and it's Tiger's son. And it's his son. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. And that was really like the the whole normal sport thing is, I mean, you know, it's just a bit and it's silly. But the start of, of, of the book is like, hey, two chicken wing restaurant ambassadors dressed like Santa and then beat you know Tiger and his son in this event. And you're like, this is the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> and yet, I mean, to see like whatever they had ten circles in a row, ten birdies in a row on Sunday, the PNC. That so all that to say, like there were other moments like that throughout the book that you're like, oh yeah, this was awesome. Even though a day afterward it got overshadowed by Liv or Greg Norman or or whatever, and that was the stuff that you and I had to like cover throughout the year. And so we just immediately forgot all the good stuff. Mm. Jokes aside, the book is called normal sport. Yes. Two. Yeah. Normal sport normal two. sport two. This is your second iteration of the book. You wrote this last year. You explain the bit of normal sport for those that maybe didn't re get it last year or are unfamiliar with it. Explain the origin. of. Yeah. That. So I think actually one of the, I think the first place that it was ever used was uh, at the, at the Wingfoot us open 2020. So Phil Mickelson's in a, of all people, is in a bunker, and he's, like, choked up to the shaft. I mean, his hands are on the metal. He's got, like, one foot out of the bunker. And you're like, the, the, like if you just walked upon this person on a golf course, you'd be like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> like, this, is, this looks absurd. And so it just became this, like, golf, I think, maybe more than any other sport, provides these moments where you're like, why does this guy have his pants off and he's like in the water swinging a club and there's somebody next to him with a book reading about the rules, like reading him as rights. I mean, like there's all these just preposterous moments in golf. And so it became this like, oh, oh yeah, normal sport type thing, obviously making fun of these these ridiculous moments. Well, and it's also it, what kind of permeates through a lot of this stuff is the fact that the playing spaces of golf are not confined, yeah. right? It, you you explore these vast, you know, fields and you weave in and out of all these random places and there's these hazards along the way. There's rope lines. There's all kinds of weird stuff. Rope, like, rope lines. Tough scene. Yeah. <laughs> at one point we hear. And, you know, a football game is played within 
you know exactly the confines. But I, I started like looking at other sports now, thinking about like you could do one about football totally. I know, like, I know. Like whether or not a guy's <laughs> knee is down and inches of astroturf kicking up and defining the first down. Well, and, they're they're uh, the World Cup. I mean, yes. uh, oh. the, the offsides uh, stuff. <laughs> like we were joking. Uh, I guess it was the was it the U.S. game uh, recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an offsides call that went against the u.s and they have they have uh computer technology and i said listen a real sport would would bring out the chain gang <laughs> and pull a string to see if he was if he was offside so yeah you could do it for other sports i try to ignore that i, I do think golf is unique in in what you said of like it puts you in situations um i, I okay so like grower up in a tree at pebble like looking for, I think it was Sergio's ball or something <laughs> like some somebody's ball, and you're like, okay, that that actually doesn't happen on a basketball court, right? right? And so there are like bringing nature into the sport, I think, does create some very unique situations for uh, for the for golf, and that's where I I kind of weave back and forth on this year being so obviously completely unnormal. And wondering, kind of like looking at other sports and just like Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo signed this week, whatever, with uh, a Saudi Arabian football team, soccer team, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, uh, Liv has brought so much attention on golf. It's a topic of conversation at parties and wherever you go. What's your take on this whole Liv thing? It's like. If you want to know, we've published a lot of content about that. (laughs) Believe it's well documented. Please please buy my book. (laughs) It's well documented. But. It is kind of like, you know, it's so unnormal for this sport to this date to be taken over, you know, the, the game be taken over by a foreign monarchy, to use, uh, you know, the commissioner's words. Yet it does happen in other sports. It's been happening in other sports. It's happened in golf from other Arab states in, over the course of the last several years. And I I guess I'm, the you know, as it further evolves, is it was this more inevitable than we ever realized? And you know, because we are so in the weeds on, on a lot of this stuff where we not able to see the kind of the big picture and how vulnerable golf was to be bought like this. Yeah, I think two things. One, I, I started off the book a little bit talking about F1 because we've seen it throughout that sport, right, yeah. over the past several years. I, I don't follow it as closely as some people, but it, it's certainly there. And I, th- I think that – so I think that was a little bit of a kind of a uh, foreshadowing for me of like, oh, okay, like th- this – you know, even thinking about um, Saudi Arabia and the F1 stuff in uh, at the end of last year, you're like, oh, this is actually a harbinger for what's to come for golf. But I think the, the thing about golf that really stood out to me throughout the year and in the book, and this is like the big debate, right, is is it's so niche. It's so and, and this is almost like why the book works, because it's 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 like just this <clears throat> tiny well, relative to other sports, it's a tiny group of people involved in this ridiculous thing, and everybody's kind of like in on the joke, wink, wink at each other, and it, and it's it's super fun. But the Saudi Arabian thing and and live, it, it's it's just, and I mentioned this in the book several times. It's the fracturing of an already tiny sport. Yeah, it's you not know big enough. There's not enough pieces really to go break off. And and, and, and so when Cristiano Ronaldo signs with Saudi Arabia, you're like, okay, whatever. Like, does that really affect uh, soccer? It's other sports are able to absorb stuff like that so much easier than golf can. And that's why when people are like, why do you, why do you care about live? It's like, man, this is, and it was hard to tell in the moment because DJ Pajowski said this, he contributed a a great chapter, but 
there's only so much outrage you can have day after day after day until it becomes like, okay, whatever, man. Yeah. But you look back at the end and, and people are like, why do you care so much about this? It's like, because I want this sport to be around for 50 years at the professional level and I want to cover it in the same way I'm covering it now. And that might not be the case if it continues to fracture and split off and split off and split off. I think golf is uniquely vulnerable in that way. Yeah. That's what I wondered too about. I don't know enough about tennis to weigh in on that, but that seems as an individual sport, that seems to be the only other comp really in terms of things that would be for sale. And I, again, I don't know enough about that to really opine on that, but that, that is what is, you know, looking back at is what made golf so vulnerable was individual careers can be bought. You know, they're not under contract with teams and things like that, that I don't know. It still is. It's, it feels very normal now, and it feels very not to not a play on words there, but like it feels it's a part of the e- golf ecosystem now. And uh, I, again, I I started this by saying the the book is not all about live, and I went straight to, straight to that one. But it is, uh, I guess, what what were what were some things in the process of putting this together that you look back on that are, that are highlighted in the book that you maybe kind of forgot about, or maybe I would have forgotten about, uh, or the listener may have forgotten about that happened in this past year. Yeah. I've got a list right here. We can go through, we can just <laughs> sure. start going Let's down do the list. It. Uh, Tiger sat down next to a motorcycle at the hero world challenge. <laughs> and he should be riding one this week. We're recording this during the week of the hero world challenge. He needs to be playing, riding one of those golf motorcycles this week. We just don't even bat an eye. We're like, oh, the <laughs> best player sure. of all time sitting next to a motorcycle at a press <laughs> conference. And it's just like, okay. Can we pause before we go through this? And I, I, I paid you this compliment privately as well, but what I love about this book is it, it is like for the golf Twitterati. Like if you listen to podcasts, if you follow golf on Twitter, if you're a part of social media at all, it's like a not a summary. It's not a chrono. It's, it's chronological, but it's not just an almanac of like what has happened in the past year. It's like through your eyes and the way you tell the story through footnotes. Like I see a footnote next to something. And I'm like, I cannot wait to get to the bottom of this page <laughs> and see what little snarky comment he makes underneath that. And uh, it, it is a way of telling the story of the year of golf through your eyes. Yet it's not about you. It's it's just you can you can list off what happened and it not be as interesting as you pausing to reflect on little things as it happened. And I just I told you you sent me like three chapters in advance early and I sent you basically a Chappelle, you know, scratching my neck, Jeff, like you got any more chapters? Cause like, I can't keep going. I'm dying over here. I do want to re- Can I read one part? The only part I sent you of like, dude, this is, you're not getting this anywhere else. <laughs> well, that's what I, I hope. I hope that people, I appreciate you saying that. And I do hope that people, I hope when they read it, they're like, Hey, I, I, I'm not getting this anywhere else. Like I hope, that, I hope that's <laughs> yeah. the reaction is like, it, it's a unique thing that is told in retrospect, so we have different perspective on uh, on the year now at the end of it than we did in the moment. So much of the live stuff, it was so hard in the moment to yeah. to contextualize it, and and even now it's still hard, but it's it's a little bit easier. And we just we try to do it informally, and I think this is hopefully where the magic happens. Is like somebody pointed out last year, he was uh, this person was like, "Hey, you didn't use Rory's last name at all in the book. Like huh. you never used his last name." And it was true. And I don't even know that I meant to do that, but it was like, listen, if you're picking up a, a book with an anthropomorphic shark on the front flexing, <laughs> like, talk about it, you probably, you probably don't need to know like what you probably already know what Rory's last name is, right? <laughs> you probably don't need Dustin Johnson spelled out. Like, you know who DJ is. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's, it's informal, but I also tried to kind of go deep on, um, a couple 
different things that happen throughout the year. Uh, so hopefully it's a good mixture of all that. <laughs> well, the, the story I'll, I'll spoil here is about uh, what happened to the waste management this year with Charlie Hoffman, where he, get, if, if you're not familiar with the story, is well covered at the time, but he takes to Instagram to get very mad at the PGA Tour for uh, he, his ball. He, he hits a ball into a water hazard. He's got to take a drop on a hill drops the ball but then it proceeds to roll back into the water and he has to take a penalty he gets mad because he thought the rule changed and it didn't and he takes to instagram to complain about it and tag a bunch of random he tags <laughs> he tagged rigs yeah and he tags a red <laughs> and your sentence in the book is is it normal for athletes to be generally unhappy with their league's rules especially when those w- rules work against them sure on the other hand, is it normal for an athlete who is unhappy with the direction of a few blades of grass laid down in a sporting event to tag in another event run by the financial arm of an at times hostile government to protect him from a group of rules officials that have proven over and over again they will go to tremendous lengths to cater to the very category of golfer in which Hoffman uh, falls? I I don't think it is. <laughs> Just the pause there at the end that slayed me because I can hear your voice and like. I don't think that's normal. <laughs> I mean, it, it truly is just, yeah, there's just stuff like that. And and I think that, you know, one of our taglines is this is everything that matters and a bunch of stuff that probably didn't. Right. Right. And so it's like, <laughs> that's something that didn't matter at all. And yet, if you, if you frame it in a certain way, you're like, this is truly preposterous. It's amazing. And, and that framing... And I think you guys do such a good job of this. That framing of stuff in a certain way is was it's it's normally like we just use it for fun or to like make jokes or whatever. It was actually helpful this year for live because you're like, actually, let's look at this from a different angle. And this is a lot crazier than you actually think. Yes. You know, so that became a, a I thought a, a useful skill throughout 2022 in a way that it wasn't before. Well, and it's also it that that instance alone is such a interesting look into the mindset i don't want to paint all tour players under the same you know you know in the same way but a look into this concept of these dudes sitting around talking to each other and being aggrieved by things on the pga tour which (laughs) is incredible it, it really is incredible it's not to say that things are perfect for every individual but it just a complete loss of reality or lack of touch with like what may like charlie hoffman i'm sorry you are not important enough to do this like you're on the board of the uh, you're on the the uh, play was he on the board of the pga tour he's on the pack of the pga tour whatever he was he at was, the time he was uh he used to be on the 16 person the pack. pack yeah and now he's he's part of the the advisory board yeah <laughs> and it's like you're the you're you the, the pro- you're part of like the policy making <laughs> in this right and but uh, but he he's also like complaining about and again this is the, goes back to the aggrieved part you're also complaining about something that the pga tour doesn't you're, you're it's a usga issue yeah and you're complaining to the pga tour and saudi arabia and rigs <laughs> he tagged rigs into it it was unbelievable and uh, it, it is also like the Saudi League is not addressing this problem. They, they're going to play by the rules of golf as well, allegedly. I, I mean, it's not like – I don't know if they really have ver- verification if they're doing that, but it's not like they're they're like, oh, don't like the ruling? You get to decide what you want to do. You know, this is this is why guys are going to other leagues. Uh was just what an incredible look into how these guys – some of these guys have lost touch. But also, at the same time, a theme that I see throughout it is just this – all of this random justification – 
for taking boatloads of money. I mean, guys like being comfortable with that decision, all of the rationalization, all the I want to play less, all the reasons guys have given for joining Live is all like a distraction for like it was a bunch of money, dude. Like I know exactly why. Stop. We can see right through all of this. But. Yeah. Totally. All right. What else you got? Uh, okay. So Tiger sitting next to a motorcycle. Uh, Bryson. I forgot about this. Bryson saying that Chris Pratt. Yes. Helped helped him through a tough time in life by telling him to play a fictional character of himself. Mm-hmm. And it's this is where the Bryson stuff you just you start to like you just get numb to it. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> what, what's next on the list? I don't even pause to like break it down because it's like, yeah, uh, of course. Jim Nance calling a game from Arrowhead was pretty, <laughs> or calling a, a golf tournament yeah, from Arrowhead. I forgot about that. He's he's in like gloves and a and a beanie, and he's calling. He's talking about the tacos in La Jolla. <laughs> You're like, okay. That was that was because he was getting ready to, to call the Super Bowl. No, it was the no. uh, Chiefs-Bills. I think it was AFC Championships uh, weekend. Gotcha. Was the same. Because remember, they ended, uh, they they ended, ended Farmers on they, Saturday. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right, that's and then right. Chiefs-Bills was on, was on Sunday. I forgot about this. Donald Trump called John Daly. Yes. To talk about Putin. And it was on speakerphone. Is John Daly was John Daly a cabinet member? Like, <laughs> what, what, is there a reason why they're they're catching up over these issues? Are they he planning might, for twenty twenty four? He might be a uh, he might be running for like governor of Arkansas or something. <laughs> he, he you serve you serve, like the through line from uh, Daly to or from Clinton to to John Daly. Pause just for a second. How did Liv not pursue or get John Daly? I don't know. I mean, that, who who are the most surprising people that they didn't get? Scott Piercy. Scott Piercy, uh, Grayson Murray. I think on a different note, I, I don't – originally it felt like Justin Rose was a part of this, yeah. and that never materialized. Uh, Jason Day seems like it would have fit in a certain way. Yeah. That, uh, you know, Adam Scott, I feel like, was long rumored with, uh, about this way back in the day when we're talking like – when we're still trying to figure out what this thing was. Hilarious re-listen is us trying to talk about oh this gosh. in October like 31st, 2021. I don't feel bad. We got a lot of stuff wrong in that. We we struggled to like concept out the league versus the international series, and it. I don't feel bad because there was no information out there at all. But it is hilarious to go listen back to it because amongst like some really bad information, there's a, there's parts where we're like, who who do we think like the first person is that's going to leave? And before you get the question out, DJ just like Phil for sure. <laughs> like, it's absolutely going to be Phil. Uh, and then there's a, a part that'll just be like, yeah, who's going to go watch like Kokrak and Kevin Na play? It's like, hey, that happened. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it was the, the thing about and this. OK, so the way that we're talking is sort of for people that are listening is sort of how live is in the book where it's like it's not the whole thing, but it's sort of weaved in and it's out everywhere. You yeah. and I you and I are like kind of jumping back to it, but then getting back to, you know, what happened throughout the year. So it, it that's kind of emblematic of of uh, of how the book goes. Okay, we got a few other things here. We've got so there was a, I think it was actually a, a groundhog in a motorized boat at the uh, at the management. at the Phoenix yeah. at Phoenix, and the, the 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 reason that was so funny, I called it a beaver in the book. I didn't change it. Whatever, they're all they're all in the same family. Uh, Sahith hit that ball in the water on seventeen. Horrible bounce. Just went straight left. And it goes in the water, and it's like this it, – it's this sort of crescendo of the entire tournament, like this dramatic moment where Sahith is about to win. He's about to beat Cantlay and Shuffler and all these guys. 
and his ball goes in the water and they cut back to him and he's he's kind of staring at it and then they cut back to the water and you just see this this <laughs> this groundhog zip by in a motorized boat and you're like i i don't know why that's happening why it's there but that was that was incredible <laughs> that event is I, I'm amazed that there's not more events that at least try to emulate some of that. Like, it, it, it's amazing how much that event stands out in terms of on the cal- on the calendar. Both going to in person, been to a lot of tour events. I always used to make fun of and doubt the the attendance numbers. Like, they're way overestimating. There's no way that that's many people. It's a festival. It's yeah. incredible. And I, I'm just amazed that no one has looked at that model and tried to figure out how they've managed to make that happen. I do think it would be hard if you tried to emulate that. You people like you and I would would make fun of you for doing that right yeah and it's not like copy it's just like what makes why do so many people go to this event right and that's an evolution all the way back to the 90s right it's not going to happen overnight yeah but it's i'm just surprised that that event stands out that that much yeah uh okay moving down the list uh trail hatton went with the he's done this before but he took a fake shotgun out in 13 at augusta and just started started shooting azaleas (laughs) that's it's not great. Didn't like didn't like Augusta, right? He had some issues with Augusta. He didn't like Augusta, and he didn't like somewhere else, maybe Southern Hills? Probably. Patton Gazire lost his mind about Southern Hills. <laughs> Matt Fitzpatrick hates the old course. I got to give Patton credit. I saw I ran into him shortly after the, uh, the PGA, and I was like, hey, we had to have a pretty good go at you. He's like, oh, yeah, I deserve that one. <laughs> <laughs> I deserve that one. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, okay, the Phil dinosaur head stuff. I mean, I, I went down kind of a uh, rabbit hole with that. He, Wait, what is the Phil dinosaur head stuff for people that don't know? So Alan Shipnuck <laughs> reported that uh, he was reporting on Phil's gambling and debts and all this stuff, and he he just sort of casually mentioned that Phil has like a dinosaur head. And I found this old Golf Digest article where he's talking about how the dinosaur head that he was given as a gift is priceless to him. It's brought his family closer together, which I mean, what family hasn't been brought closer together yeah. by a dinosaur head? That's what my family's missing. apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so that was bizarre. Uh, the, an equipment company put two lanterns on the uh, staff bags of its players at the U S open. And some of them were from the United kingdom. That was that was tailor made bags. That was I didn't know if we could mention tailor made. Oh yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> that was uh, that was incredibly normal. Like they had the American Independence Day on that Rory's carrying. Around. Yeah, that Tommy Fleetwood <laughs> is just is just you know lugging around. Uh, that was the same week that we got Smiley and JT to dab on the Green Monster. Just the reigning PGA champion dabbing on the Green Monster. Uh, Tom Hoagie hit a ball over a turkey that week mm-hmm. at Brookline. Normal stuff. That that's the nature part where you're like, you're not getting this in the NBA finals. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about this, but at the match play, they had a ruling where they they yes. um, Thomas Peters' ball was on a, a sprinkler head, but he wasn't able to drop because it was in a penalty area. The red paint was over over hanging over the. There was there were like <laughs> blades of grass in which that red paint was on that were touching the sprinkler head, so it's considered a penalty area. So what I what I didn't remember is they came and redrew the out the penalty area, <laughs> right? They redrew it during the event, which didn't really affect anything because it was match play. But the crazy the crazier part is that while they were on their way to redraw. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many people it. I don't know how many people it takes, but 
apparently all these people are on their way with spray paint to read, which imagine that happening. And like, we need to rechalk the infield in the Phillies Astros <laughs> game four. Like we just got to go, but like you're rechalking a different area. It's absurd. Quick break here to check in with our friends at DraftKings golf fans. Capital one's seventh edition of the match is stacked. Golf's biggest stars, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas taking on vets, Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy this week in Florida. You can join all the action with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can bet just $5 on the match, and you get $150 in free bets instantly. Uh, I'm not sure who's grinding the hardest on this. I wish I could give out advice on my picks. I probably need to consult uh, TC. I'm in last place in our picks pool for so far this this week or this year, so you probably don't want my picks anyways. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can get in on the action with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Contest. This year, DraftKings is also giving uh, new customers a free shot at a share of millions in prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code NLU when you bet $5 before or during the match. You get $150 in free bets instantly that's code nlu only DraftKings sportsbook minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply see show notes for details let's get back to kyle porter uh it happened again to of course bryson of course and they gave him a free drop even though they hadn't redrawn the area so they were basing it on a future line that they were about <laughs> to draw this is where i love like to the peter's getting upset with the uh the pj tour rule staff who have to draw how many lines around every golf course every week yes like yeah you guys were you you missed drawing this line you were off by fractions of an inch yeah and that is representative of so many issues we have with the pga tour it's like oh my god guys come on come on so it's stuff like that when i say everything that mattered and a bunch of stuff that probably didn't that did not matter at all and yet it's just sort of this hilarious thing that we all rally around and but it's it's like part of what like golf content is now, right? These incredibly inane things that don't matter at yeah. all yet are funny and you know make it like did you see what happened with Dylan Fratelli hitting a ball out of a tree? Yes. Got a two shot penalty. Like, I've, that- I've, <laughs> I've got that and and it I mean honestly like it brings levity to I there's only so many times you can be like, Oh, that Great shot. Th- that three wood was unbelievable. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, I've seen all the three woods. So it brings some levity to the moments that are actually meaningful throughout the year. I think it provides a good balance to it. Well, it's, yeah, I remember, you know, a bad example. I, I don't, you know, I can't think off the top of my head who won AT&T this year. I think it was Hoagie. Is that right? Hoagie yeah. beat uh, but, Spieth. But I remember, like, the Hovland, Joel Damon, and um, Burger. Burger exchange on the 16th hole at TPC Sawgrass, which had no yep. effect on the you know the final you know uh, outcome of that tournament. Yet uh, a lot of the just the th- there's so much about so much more about golf events about what happens out there that's you know outside of who wins and who loses. Totally, and that's I think that's why a lot of people that are probably listening right now even tune in or listen to this podcast or read normal sport is like for the absurdity of it. It's it's a weird ecosystem where it's like what has been created amongst golf content creators kind of becomes the joke. Like it, you you start viewing golf. At least I get feedback on you know from listeners and followers that view golf through the lens of like, oh god, they're gonna have a field day about this on the podcast. Or and like players start doing yes, it, right? Exactly, and they're like, oh, Porter's gonna have a tweet about this. I know that one. As soon as I see something happen, it's like, well, this will be a normal sport tweet here. In well, that, three, two, one, exactly. <laughs> and that's there was uh, I think it was. I didn't experience this, but somebody was telling me that uh, Victor Hovland had told them like, something happened. He was like, oh, normal sport, right? <laughs> and so it becomes this like sort of – and this goes back to this the kind of informality of it. It becomes this 
just kind of like inside baseball, inside yeah. joke type thing. I So funny story, like our copy editor this year, Hannah Diner, she's one of my friends and she doesn't follow golf at all, which is great. <laughs> but it also like she when she went through and copy edited the I'm, book. I'm trying to picture somebody editing this book that doesn't follow follow golf. <laughs> she, I'm going to read you a text thread that, that we had uh, between her and, and my wife and her husband, like uh, the, the two couples, because she was like, this is nonsense yeah, this makes, this like the not, things you're you saying publish this the things you're saying are not and i'm like just just make sure there's no misspellings or <laughs> punctuation errors like that's all you need to do know your role but but like it was it was almost hard to have her copy edit because uh because of the informality of it right and and i think that you know the thing i was thinking about with that is you guys do such a good job shane bacon is maybe the best at this is just talking about golf the way that professionally the way that we talk about it when we're out playing right and that's a little bit of what I try to do with the book like and I try to do that in my day job at CBS Sports but it's it you know that's a more of a formal place this is like hey let's let's actually write and talk the way that people do like when you're texting about Rory you don't say Rory McIlroy no Right. Yeah. And so why would why would you put that in in the book? So anyway, that was that was just part of like we say our conquering hero instead of (laughs) (laughs) we'll get to that. (laughs) That was just part of uh, kind of the I don't know. That's behind the scenes. But hopefully it's it's interesting. Uh, A couple other things. Scotty Scheffler got a nine foot mural from a sparkling water company. That was absurd. Uh, Okay, so the Centurion, the first live event at Centurion in London. This is from this is a direct directly written on uh, this is from the Associated Press unironically written. I'm going to read it. It's in the book. The band dressed as imitation infantrymen was there to proclaim the arrival of Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson, <laughs> two of the stars enticed from the PGA Tour to potentially earn hundreds of millions of dollars on the Live Golf Series. They had a they had a band. These guys in. Uh, I think they're bearskin caps, you know, the tall caps that, uh, that, that I'm going (laughs) to offend so many people here, but the tall caps that, uh, British infantrymen and women wear, uh, they were on the first, and there was like, they were playing trumpets on the first tee at Centurion at this live event. And it was like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah. why not? Took London cabs out to the first hole for shotgun start golf yeah. tournament. Yeah. It was brand new. And and that was how Liv started. And it was just, I don't know, just stuff like that was was absurd. Two 65-year-olds played in different different PGA Tour events this year. Jay Haas was one of them. Peter Jacobson. Peter Jacobson, that's right. He played in the uh, Pebble. And Jay Haas played in... Uh, Zurich which a a weird part of this year that I've actually enjoyed is I enjoyed it's not the right word but you know happy to get on display is some like some major flaws in the PGA Tour structure like when put up against live it's like dude this is absurd like what's going on here guys you case can't fill out your fields you know the the trend you know the path to making to the PGA Tour is too convoluted too difficult there's no shared point system between Corn Ferry and PGA Tour uh, you know, it just once with a bunch of guys left to like truly having trouble filling out your fields uh, and having just so many hanger ons in in PGA Tour fields has been something that's just like been put on display this year. Spotlight shown to like, you know, I, I, not to veer into Phil was right as much as it is like 
live forcing ch- change for good is a huge takeaway to have it from all of this. We'll get to the Phil was right stuff. I've got some takes on that. So my copy editor, Hannah, this is, this is one of her notes. I'm reading this directly off. We use Google Docs to put the put the book together. She said, "I so I call the Niblix the Nibbies. <laughs> just, I don't know why. It's, just, it's like Zach Lowe calling the Pelicans the Pellies. I just call them the Nibbies. She said, I have Googled Nibbies, comma, golf several times. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to flag it in case it's a typo because I can find nothing. Edit, update. Now I see it in the next paragraph, so I know it's not a typo. <laughs> the nibbies. But imagine, like, no one follows this stuff closer than we do. And imagine, like, the, having a conversation about the nibbies at this time last year. We did a pod on this same topic last year, and this did not exist. And uh, it, it, it is kind of like a when you're following it that much in the details and you just read some of this stuff back and you look back at, like, yeah, the the logo, the clip art logos is something that is just now normal. Like the the torque and the fireballs logos <laughs> the, are normal. We we had some fun with the fireballs logo. Our illustrator Jason Page, who's really the star of this book, his illustrations and his work are incredible, and he he enjoyed the fireballs logo quite a bit. <laughs> we we did some we did some interesting things with it. Let's see here. At one point. At Phoenix, there were 23 people on or within a driver's length of the 16th green whenever they threw the cups and the beer on there, and they had to clean it up. Like, there were 23 people, like, on the green at the same time. I was going to say, throwing uh, alcohol and, and cups onto a playing surface, that's actually it happens in other sports. Yes. That is not unique to golf. Yes. For once. Hockey, <laughs> yeah. Throwing octopuses, octopi on the ice is a normal sport thing, if anybody's <laughs> writing about hockey. Uh, use golf facts. Everything that they, he, she, whatever, did uh, went after shot length this year. Do you remember yeah, that? For sure. Just destroyed shot length. It's not real. It's <laughs> it's it's being manipulated. And even stuff like uh, you know, again, this is this is where you try to contextualize what's actually happening. Monday morning of the Masters, Augusta National sends out a, pr- a press release. You get it in your inbox. Okay, this is super serious. It's got the Augusta National Golf Club uh, header logo. They're announcing the lengths that they cut the grass that morning, <laughs> and you're like, "What? This is absurd!" <laughs> like, but it, but it, but like when you're in it and you're and you're 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 covering it and you're reading about it, you're it just is like, oh yeah, it you know it's a quarter inch this way and three you know two inches over here. But when you go back and look at it, you're like, that is, that's an absurd email to get on a Monday morning, right? You're, imagine waking up and be like, I, I, I can't write my story. Like, I don't know what the length of the grass is out there. You know, how am I supposed And no one ever puts that into any context of any kind. It's not like uh, if you told me the fairways are cut at five-eighths of an inch, I'd be like, okay, is that tight? Is that long? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, speaking of Augusta, Scotty Scheffler on 18. I actually missed this. You, I think you caught it. I was out on the course. Uh, so this was Saturday afternoon, third round. He hits a ball and he pulls it left off the tee on 18, hits it into the trees. And he said, uh, he asked an official, isn't a pine, isn't a pine straw, isn't pine straw a type of leaf <laughs> so that he could get, I don't even know what the, 
I don't even. It's I'm like not a, a loose impediment, I think. Okay, so he's okay. trying to figure out if he can remove something, and you know, it's, I don't know. There's something like that's pine straw. I don't know if you can. He's like, is it pine straw leaf? <laughs> <laughs> the Canadian Open hung a bar over their 18th green, like a 20 person, like on a crane, mm-hmm. and that was actually a normal thing because that was, I think, one of the live weeks. That was um, that was the live London. Yeah, week. yeah. and so the cana- the bar being suspended over that, the 18th green that's seemed, how they fought back it seemed yeah it seemed <laughs> actually normal uh greg norman tried to play in the open that was crazy spieth remember spieth trying to eat ice cream at the open just just trying to house ice cream i appreciated the comment of wondering why this is such a thing on 55 degree days in scotland that yeah. people eat, uh, eat so much ice cream there uh there was a political convention essentially at bedminster that was bizarre that is the moment that i pause on of of you know i i don't think a lot of people that challenge us on the live stuff are doing it in a a, you know it's pretty disingenuous the the way it's done it's like how do you how do you not look at that and and understand why people that like really love golf don't want golf to be a political route how do you not regardless of who the politician is and regardless of anything that's happened in this in the world in the last five six years, how can you want it to be that? How could you want on any on any political side? How can you want golf to be that? That's where it's like, dude, look at what's going on here. When you talk about the people that pop back on live, right? <clears throat> what is your opinion of who are these people, right? Because 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 we get tweets and DMs and emails from people, quote unquote, all the time. You and I yeah. and other people that are that are in this world. And it's like, are they are they being paid? Are they like, what, like, why are you waking up and writing for not just live, but any league? Yeah, here's what I think. It is a combination of these things. One, there are bots that are doing this 100 percent. What do you mean by bot? But it is like a, a bot farm. It is managed by someone in relation to the league that has accounts set up that are out there put it spewing live propaganda that are being controlled by humans right yes yeah okay yeah, yeah. i don't think it's like like it's literally out of the saudi playbook if you watch the, the film the dissident the dissident it yeah. is it sh- it tells you about how they use an army of like these bot farms these you know not real they're real people but they're representing not real people yes to harass and you know people that are dissidents against the saudi government and it's a very real thing so it is in their playbook. It's not outrageous to assume that. And like accounts literally pop up in June 2022 and just start only tweeting about live. It's like I'm not gonna like fa- I'm not gonna like pretend this is real. But I also think there's people out there that are opportunists to one enjoy like a simple decision made of like I, I all these I, these guys are annoying me and I'm intrigued by this live thing. I'm gonna fight back on it. And then like you've decided at that point like you see you get a reaction out of someone and you start getting maybe a following of, of you know, you, you just get a little attention on it and you see an opportunity of like, no one's really covering this in a, uh, I don't even want to say authentic way. It's like, no, there aren't media people out there that are fans of live golf. I'm going to be that. Now I'm going to be the attention. I'm going to get attention on me because I'm going to support everything live does. And it's like, if you're totally convinced by everything they did this year, like I, we know you're faking it. Like you, they did not produce an entertaining an interesting product they did some interesting things but this is not the final product of the league if in year five there are genuine fans of this thing i will believe and understand that 
if what you saw this year is what you think is like it for golf and what you love about golf, I just don't believe you. Like I'm sorry. It was not it was not good. It's not a good competition. It has diminished golf competition. There is again entertaining aspects of it, but if I, I just can't imagine I, I I don't know how to say it. I, I don't think people are being genuine when they say that they actually have enjoyed this. I think they see an opportunity to one just uh, you know, kind of be part of the discourse and, you know, get a reaction out of people and to like to create a media personality around supporting Live Golf. That's out there. Like Liv's gonna help promote you if you go to the events and ask dumb, silly questions and if you post Instagrams and reels and all this stuff about what's going out there and you help just you wrote, uh, you know, Joe Beal wrote about this in the book as well about some journalists are there asking very serious questions to the live players and they're followed up by these jokesters that are in there to create their memes and everything. And it distracts from the actual conversation around it. And which is the exact goal of the whole league. It's very complicated, but I just, I find it, I, I find it a struggle to fathom who the real people are that are, that love watching golf and have hate watched the PGA tour for this long and can hate it that much. And yeah. are now all of a sudden in love with what Liv is doing, like, come on. Yeah. I think, well, and the, the, they're the close, the close association with that is like these people that, that, uh, are writing for cam Smith. Like, Oh, he's a, he's by far the best player in the world. It's like, bro, you didn't even know who cam Smith was <laughs> a year ago. Like you didn't, I'm sorry. Like cam Smith is great. He's fun to watch. He's super entertaining. He's been a good player for a long time. You had no idea who he was a year ago. <laughs> it's, right? That, there wasn't a legion of Cam Smith fans when he was the 30th ranked player. That has yet. has really irked me. And it's like this it's also an anti-Rory thing, which is Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> we again, you and I not the Leave not, Rory alone. Not the not the place for objective Rory content, but so I I think you're right about the live bot thing the dissident is they're not all bots but it helps fuel yes when you see some common like thoughts out there whether it comes from a real person or not it is like a way of controlling it's like a propaganda machine it's a way of mind controlling like if i i know if i'm visiting certain websites over a long period of time i know that something is working in a way against me right if i'm on reddit I am going to be more left influenced. Like Reddit's just more left leaning. Mm-hmm. If I'm on Fox News, my mind is going to start working in a different way. Fox News plays in the gym when I go. They put CNN and Fox News up on two different screens. <laughs> it's weird because Fox is on the left and CNN's on the right. It always cracks me up. But I, I see like them covering the same different topics, and I see the different headlines they use at the bottom to mind control you, right? To in, you know to put this thought in your head. And I, it works on people. It 100% works on people. It works on me, and I'm aware of all that. Yeah, so yeah. that's where I think there's this underlying thing of if you flood the zone with so much crap that eventually like people just start not understanding what the truth is, not caring to find the bottom of the truth. They just want to start aligning with things that make them feel good about a certain thing or make them want to hate a certain thing. And it's a weird political thing that, again, where I just like hate where golf is headed in that regard. Totally, and I, I think that... I agree with you about the bot thing. I think we do it a disservice to say bots sometimes because I think like sometimes you'll pop back and say, Oh, you're, you're just a bot to this, this person controlling the social media account. And they'll say, no, I'm not, which I think sometimes we're using, like people are using the definition of like a computer generated response or whatever. And it's almost like we need a different word yeah. for, for what's happening there. You yeah. know? Yeah. I know what you mean. It, and I'm not saying that, no, no, you're not, 
specifically with you talking about it, but like, because I agree, like I'll, I'll start saying, oh, there's just a bunch of bots. And it's like, well, is that even, am I even like saying that correctly? <laughs> yeah. You know, because it's, it's actually, again, the dissident is un an unbelievable film. I mean, it, it's very eye opening into the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and how they try to control the message online and succeed in a lot of ways. And I have no doubt that that, and I wrote about this in the book is part of what's happening here with live. I think the irony of the whole thing with all the live stuff is that in a lot of ways you probably more so than me, but a lot of us in golf Twitter and golf media have been saying like, man, I'd love to see some, some change, some disruption. Yes. Right. And so all these people are like, Oh, you just, you're, you're just writing for this institution that's been around forever. It's like, go back and listen to the last yeah. five years of stuff. Yes. That is not, I'm not the PGA tour is fine. There's some great stuff about it. There's some, a lot of stuff that could be improved. I talk about that in the book. It's just the way that live went about it was the worst way. And that, that gets to the Phil thing, right? Of like, congrats like you won the like you're you won the battle and you got you you got paid and you like lost the war right like you 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 screwed up like the entire sport because you wanted a little bit of disruption you know and it, it, it just i think when people say hey you guys just ride for the pga tour it's like I, i'm gonna cover golf in whatever form it's in i just want it to be in a form I will ride for the way the PGA Tour has compensated and arranged a set of golf tournaments for the players. Like, that is not the issue I have with the PGA Tour. The issues I have had have been on the entertainment factor, how golf fans experience it, right? The PGA Tour is set up very well for someone like Pat Perez, who, as noted in the book, has one top 10 in a major, one top 10 in a WGC, and has earned this, but has made $28 million on the PGA Tour. Like, I think that is well set up for him and sure you're gonna have little you know individual things that are wrong with it or things beefs you have or whatever but overall can we agree this is good for you like value has been created out of your skill to play golf that did not exist outside of the pga tour the the funds that have come the people that have worked hard to raise a ton of money from sponsorships how like that's just such an uncovered part of the business in terms of like there's one tour out there that has been able to have almost $500 million of real money, not some Saudi prince's money, earned and given out to players as a part of their um, organizing golf talent. The DP World Tour has not ever been able to do that. Australasia Tour has not been able to do that. Asian Tour has not ever been able to do that. Corn Ferry, Sunshine, like, all these tours are out there, and there's one, it's heavily influenced by Tiger and how many corporations exist in the United States and whatever, all of that, but it, that is where like the value is created there, and these guys get compensated really well for it. And to see like the tour, the guys like, I guess that's where I end up riding for the tour in some way is like they do provide the best competition currently as it stands. Not that it can't be improved, and they fall so short on the entertainment aspect of it that I would have been okay with a disruption of some kind. Like I was very intrigued by yeah. the PGL idea. Yeah, like, totally. It makes a ton of sense, and a lot of what makes Live work, I think, could have really worked if you had the top 48 guys in this in this subset. Now, where I end up kind of just defending the tour in a lot of ways is just like, again, you're up against a completely irrational actor. It is uh, uh, really tough to go up against somebody that doesn't have to play by any rules, 
and you have to work in this ecosystem that is a, a nonprofit and find a way to put up all these tournaments, keep your top stars happy, keep the 100th man happy, keep the 200th man happy, keep your sponsors happy, keep your tournament directors happy, you know, satisfy the charities, all that. All that stuff is to say, like, they do a good job of all of that stuff, right? Do they come woefully short of, like, you know, you know, entertaining us at home? Yes, I think they do. But that's where I end up riding for them is, like, dude, let's not pretend like these guys aren't extremely good like you have a part in the book, I forget who the quote is from about, you know, I thought that they were terrible at it and then I spent two and a half years on the board and it's like these guys are doing an incredible job of raising money for us. Yeah, that was Keith Mitchell talking yeah. about somebody who was on the I think board. Kisner, maybe. I, okay. Yeah. I, I don't know who the who the uh, who the person was. A final break here to check in with our friends at Roback. You've heard us say so many great things about the performance polos, the performance Q zips. They're a game changer. They're awesome to wear in the fall and both the mornings and the evenings. You can wear them out to restaurants. You can wear them on planes. You can wear them on the golf course. They just are, are true lifestyle and golf wear, which is some of my favorite attire in the game. The hoodies. There's a reason we can't keep these on our shelves. Uh, there's a reason why you see these pretty much everywhere you go. They're gaining traction big time. They're soft. They're stretchy. They're just durable. They don't start smelling after a couple wears. I, I, I get away with wearing these things multiple times to the point where I need to kind of start sketching out and scheduling out when I'm actually wearing them so I'm not wearing them every single day. But also got to talk about the joggers. They've got great new joggers. they got awesome shorts that kind of double as athletic wear yet formal enough that it doesn't look like athletic wear uh, and they got vests they got just so many different styles of hoodies as well so many different styles of q-zips go to roback.com check out all their offerings and you can use code nlu to get a generous 20 percent off your first order through the end of this week cannot think of a better christmas gift to get that's roback.com r-h-o-b-a-c-k.com 20 percent off polos q-zips hoodies vests joggers shorts you name it they got everything you could possibly want roback.com code nlu Let's get back to Kyle Porter. You know, I think the other thing is the people who say, oh, well, monopolies need to be broken up. And it's like, you might not admit it. You might not realize it. You want a monopoly in sports. You don't want four NFLs. Yeah. Right. I, I compared in the book. I said, imagine Kevin Durant leaving the NBA to start a new basketball league funded by the Venezuelan government. This was when uh, they had the match between Josh Allen and, and Pat Mahomes. And I said, and then the following day, there was a televised, televised horse game between Speed, JT, Homa, and Cantlay. <laughs> Which also, I think I put this in there. Can you imagine the shots Speed would try in a horse game? I mean, he would be out of control. But like the, the monopoly thing, like you want, you want, a, you want a hierarchy in especially your individual sports, right? And this goes back to there's so few people that I think football is bulletproof in this, but there's there's so few people that pay attention to the NBA regular season, the MLB regular season, right? So think about how how many fewer there are that pay attention to the golf regular season, yeah. the non-majors. I mean, it it feels like it, it's tiny. Yeah. And so if you're if you're breaking that up, and saying like, well, you got to pay attention over here, but also over here, but also over there. It just is not, it, it, it's going to in the long term. And I think this is where guys are confused. And I understand what they're doing in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to reduce your, your revenue, yeah. right? Because if, you, if, you're, if it's not consolidated, then you're just not going to be able to generate the type of revenue that you've been able to generate, again, largely because of Tiger. And in the long term, you're you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. When especially if there are, if Liv ends up getting sponsors, right? Like companies that want to spend money with that. Like if now there's a decision to be made on do I spend money with Liv or do I spend money with PGA Tour? 
like there's going to be a hit in some way of of fundraising on the PGA tour and finding sponsors to pay these outsized purses now. Like so, it's Well it's, they but I mean they have that 800 million to draw from. That's I forgot about that. Yeah. So and so, the NFTs. Once they cash in the NFTs <laughs> at 20 billion. 20 billion in NFT. Jason Page made like a uh, NFTs are not physical, but he made physical looking NFTs <laughs> for the for one of the pages. So that was <laughs> That was pretty good. But that's where, again, I can't, I almost feel like I can't over explain, um, or I struggle to explain why. I guess it's kind of the way that people view the world, right? It's, it is so one thing or the other in terms of there can't be any gray of like, you hate it on the tour forever. Why all of a sudden are you riding for him? It's like, if you can't see that I think that this is the best chance for entertainment and opportunity for the best competition then we're just not going to see eye to eye on this. I can also think they fall woefully short on something, yeah. yet at the same time be rooting for them to get this figured out and retain the talent. I think our best chance at watching good, entertaining, competitive golf is their, them retaining mainly the guys that were in the meeting room in Delaware, retaining that and putting up great golf competitions. I think there's still major flaws in how they present it, and they've got to evolve on that front. But um, I guess I'm, I'm just extremely confident in following my gut in terms of uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. It's so weird to have gone through this thing where people think we've sold out to the PGA Tour when uh, people stopped listening to us because we were too hard on the PGA Tour at one yeah. point. So I don't know. It's just very been a very weird year in that regard. And like, yeah, are we like, did the PGA Tour commit antitrust violations? By all accounts, so far, probably yes. Like that's probably going to be an issue for them. I don't know what that looks like. Am I rooting for them to you know win that lawsuit or win that case? because I think it's a better chance of retaining the talent and keeping competitive golf a lot. Yeah, I am. I don't, I don't really care about the law in that regard. Like give me entertaining golf. Like it, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't, I never got into golf because I was like, Oh, I hope everything's really above board here. <laughs> hope the lawyers really figure this, this out. This is like the, uh, the Antifado tweet this year that said, you know what? I'm sick of golf. I'm going to go back to a sport that uh, doesn't, doesn't have realignment issues is completely above board it's wholesome, it's wholesome like college football <laughs> <laughs> but i think you know to get back to the the year i think what live unintentionally did was elevate the value and the importance of the major championships yep. right they they felt and maybe it was because they were at great venues this year. I mean, four just tremendous. What was the worst venue? Southern Hills? Probably. Which is crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I made the case going into it that the Open, that the St. Andrews was, was the most consequential major of the last 20 years. And, you know, if Rory would have won, it would have been. But <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, <laughs> he did not. Uh, no, it, it – it did, and, and it was already, I think, trending in that direction, golf broadly. It just made those four weeks feel even more important than they already did, and they already felt important. I mean, I think back to the U.S. Open, and that was the most contentious week of the entire year, I it think. It was a wild week. I mean, Phil starts out with just that hangdog uh, press conference that he gave, which was just so bizarre. Brooks is cursing at people in the media i mean he it was just you guys are putting a black cloud over this u.s open yeah a black cloud we have an illustration in the book that's a black cloud over brooks's putter which says like instead of title as cash grab on there which is hilarious but 
uh, Rory and JT and Rom were uh, kind of you know fired up that week. It, it was that was a really contentious week, and it made it feel, and it made all the major weeks feel just even even more important, which I thought was kind of an unintended benefit of all this because they are the most important. Um, so I don't know. It, it just that was one takeaway in the book from the year is how much how much more important those weeks felt. It also, I believe this was mentioned in the book too, of a realization. At least I, I never really thought of it this way, and this year has you know changed the way we think about pretty much everything. But the realization that a lot of how much how much power the players have, the yeah. players finally realizing how much power they have, and issues they have with the tour are their own problems to to, to solve, right? And that's the way their policy board slash pack, however it's worked is not efficient enough at addressing, you know, an overall strategy. It's where everyone can get their grievances in about little things, yet it's not, again, until those guys got in the same room to come up with, like, let's restructure how we're going to do – let's go – the tour is not going to come up with this. At the Keith Mitchell's point of, like, if Jay Monahan came to John Rahm and said, you have to play these 17 events. Like, this no is what, chance. This is what we came up with. That's not going to go over well, but if we can get everyone to agree as a group, like this is what we have to do, this is what we should do, and here's why, and then take that to the tour, that was the only way this was ever going to work. And that's where, coming back to Phil was right. It was like, dude, if you tried that, if you tried to get everyone on the same page, if you came up with a plan, instead of drafting up the foundation, the bylaws of a, a rival league, do you, do you know how far, how big those differences are between trying yes. to solve the problems at home versus drafting up language for a rival league? Having your own lawyers do that, if he'd have tried the other thing, I would have been supportive and like Phil was right. He tried to make these changes. It was never going to happen. He needed to leave. And yeah. like look at Tiger and Rory's initiative to address the issues at home instead of like running off to take a very selfish cash grab. But I think Phil would say that he did try to do that. He would the, say that. Over the last 20 years. By calling Monaghan himself and like telling him what's wrong with things instead of like serving in a leadership position. And also like when you when you're yelling about NFTs being worth twenty billion and all these other things. Everything else goes out the window. It sort of negates like what you're actually trying to get done. This and is it, all Googleable, for, for sure. I mean, again, like a six-time major winner tweeting nine nineties at me <laughs> during the middle of a of a of a press conference or uh, during the middle of an event sponsored by an Indian motorbike company. <laughs> Like what the hell? Like how did how did how do we end up here? We got to call this out. We, the, you know, Phil was watching the press conference, obviously, because he's following on Twitter as it's going on, and you know he is puppeting Mark Canizero of the New York Post, who asks Tiger the question of, "Do you think Phil is owed an apology <laughs> after all of this?" So it's very much. I Ab pic absolutely not. I picture. Kenazaro texting Phil like I don't know what this. Do you want me to ask him again? Like how do I how do, how do I get this? He didn't apologize. How do we get him to apologize, Phil? And, uh, and so you tweeting that out, and then he's replying with a 2018 990 filing that doesn't reconcile. I went and looked it up. Like I can't even figure out where the numbers are coming from. He also doesn't seem to understand how player retire. Phil wants an early cash out of his retirement is what he wants of all this. Like he all these assets he thinks the tour has. It's like the PGA Tour retirement fund that is wildly lauded as you know widely lauded as the best in sports and something he's known has been in existence since he joined in the 90s like this has not changed but that's the liability right is the is yeah, the, the retirement yes that's and the he's just yeah. he's just willfully ignoring, ignoring that, part that. so phil has decided that he is going to win over the 
I don't want to say the simple minds, just the people that aren't willing to think critically at all. He's long decided, I'm not going to try, like the media has, is, is on to this. They're going to figure this stuff out really quickly. I'm going to try to win the popu- like the populist vote here of people that aren't willing to think about this. I'm going to just will these things into existence. Again, mind control, just throwing out random numbers and then people go around and start talking about it. I listened back to one of our old pods and like without before we had looked into it, we had I had parroted the uh, the twenty six percent the players get twenty six percent of the yeah, pay. Yeah, yeah. I had said that, and yeah. I was like, yeah, I you know quoted Phil on that, and I didn't push back on that because I hadn't looked into it yet. Yeah. And that is how he's hoping to win this whatever race. But again, it's like, what's the point, dude? You got your money. Like, what 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 do you still hope to accomplish here? Why are you cooperating with the antitrust investigation against the PGA Tour? Like, what do you stand to gain from this other than to like just want to watch the world burn? Yeah, I think. It wasn't a great year for Phil. (laughs) I mean, especially like, imagine telling yourself the week before the the, the Kiowa PGA 2021. What was before that week? Uh, Byron Nelson? Yes. KH Lee? Yeah. When's the Byron Nelson? You tell yourself that was uh, the squeegee week. They were squeegeeing the greens on that Sunday when KH Lee won. Uh, might have been well. Might have been one of your first normal sports. Days. Uh, <laughs> tell yourself, hey, Phil's going to win next week. Yep. But then the fo- the next year's PGA, he's going to have done something way crazier, <laughs> which is miss the PGA because he's involved in a in a in a Ponzi scheme, basically. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. Ponzi scheme gets thrown out way too much. Yeah, these days. that's kind of a that. that's just a moniker for like you don't know where money's coming <laughs> yeah. from, which is essentially what's going on. But uh, he's gonna he's gonna be involved in something way crazier the following year, the and high it just flyers. the high flyers. He's gonna be on a, on the high flyers. <laughs> The names have all, they're almost so bad they're good. The only defense I'll give uh, Liv on this is how silly does the name Commanders sound right now for the Washington football team? Just because it's new. Right. Totally. And if you came up with the Patriots now, yeah. it would be like, what? look at this team name. The, but it's, I've known since I was three. The Kraken? Yeah, exactly. You're Over like, the years, the Golden Knights just becomes part of parlance. Yeah. It, it takes the Thunder. Remember the Oklahoma yeah. City Thunder? That's You're right. like, that's the dumbest thing and I've ever heard. Say it and ironically. Now it's yeah. Very normal. <laughs> Pelicans are still dumb. But yeah. The Pellies. The Nibbies. Please <laughs> keep the Nibbies. Uh, so, yeah, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a great year for Phil. And I think that... Yet he was... I, I saw this on Forbes somewhere or, or on Instagram, yeah. but he was the highest paid athlete in sports this year. Congratulations. It's wild. I mean, it, it just is like... And, and this, I wrote about this in the book. I, I had this actually serious section about money and about how I don't... I don't really understand why as a society sometimes we act like money should be our governing, like our North Star. Like, I'm going to, like if, it, okay, so the example I gave was if Golf Channel or I don't, I forgot what company I use said, we'll triple your salary, but you have to move and you can't do the things you love, like cover the Ryder Cup and cover the majors anymore. Would I take that? Because that was that's what people on Twitter are like. Oh, you'd take a hundred million dollars too. And it's like, like I'm not I'm not governed only by money. Like there are other things in the decision making matrix that I take into account. I love where I live. I love the 
friends that I have. I love the people and the community that I live around. I love the church that I go to. My kids are thriving. My wife loves our neighborhood. Like those are all, but it, but yet people act like, well, if we doubled what we were going to give you, then that, that'll make up for all of that. That'll change everything. And it's like, what a soulless way to live your life. You know, and, yeah. and I'm not I'm not saying that specifically about Phil, but it's almost like the people who were who were evaluating it, like that was their stance on it. Yeah. Like, well, if you were given this, then it would make up for all that other stuff. And yep. it's like, who what how? There was a great, like, uh kind of cheesy but inspirational reel or Instagram or something Facebook video that was going around for a while that was like uh somebody talking about the value of money. And it's like we all value money, right? I value for sure. money. We, for sure. we do ads that make us money. You work for money, you're selling this book for money. Like money matters. Don't let's let's not pretend like it doesn't. Yeah. You're not. I'm just saying let's let's address that. But you know, how much even if you think in your life you value money more than anything, you probably don't. Like the 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 take was basically like if I offered you a million dollars right now, but you're gonna lose a leg tomorrow, what what would your answer be? No, no chance. And it's like okay, so you value your health, yeah, more than money, yeah. And if I'm gonna give you, I'll give you ten million dollars tomorrow, but your your wife, your mom, your dad, whatever it's gonna be, is gonna die tomorrow. No chance. You value your family more than money, and yeah. it's just kind of viewing it through that way. It was just like a, I don't know, there, money is gonna fit into everyone's lives in some way at some point in, yeah. in, in some capacity like don't like the point is not to pretend like it doesn't it's just that it doesn't rule everything for everyone for some people it is the endless pursuit of money that they're into like for the life of me some of these multi-billionaires that still work 20 hours a day i don't understand that right if if i had more money than i could count i wouldn't spend my time working i would want to you know go enjoy things in life and would stop pursuing more money but um, for some people, it, there's money. Just can't, you can't get enough of it. You can't. You can't. Even if you have a ton, the idea of like I can't turn down an offer for a hundred. Basically, I'm paying a hundred million dollars to not play live. If I don't take <laughs> this money, the way their minds work is like, how do you turn that down? How do you? And you in the in the way, whether intentional or not, you sacrifice a lot. Like I would struggle with if I sold out. Struggling if I said if I was you know had a twenty million dollar house that I was sitting in. I would struggle with enjoying that if I knew that people thought less of me, right? You know, like yeah. you sacrificed like your values, you know, just to sit at home. I think about like with like Graham McDowell. It's like he really enjoyed being liked and being, you know, interviewed and he was a great personality. I think for the first time in his career, he felt pushback on that this year. And the exchange for that was for money. And yep. maybe he thinks it's worth it. I don't know, but I wonder how well that sits with someone like him. We had that quote in the... Uh I, I don't know yeah. Irish independent or yeah. somebody and he said is it he said something like it's it's harder to look in the mirror in the morning yeah and you're like damn that kind like of tell is you? that yeah. is that what's that worth right you know and JT and Rory talked about that throughout the year I thought JT was pretty good on some of this stuff yeah. he talked about uh you know if you don't love your job then like there's there's not an amount of money that is gonna make up for that yeah and these are guys that are like Oh, I don't know if JT's wealthy. Rory's wealthy. JT's rich, right? These are yeah. guys that have like lived that life, and and uh, you know I can't. Rory talked about it at one point. I can't remember specifically. Was it at Travelers that he talked about the money stuff? I don't know. I can't, I can't remember. But um, he he's like, listen, like I live in the house. I still yeah. use three bedrooms. Yeah, I, I still use the same use, four rooms in my house. Yeah, whatever it is. that yeah. quote. And you're like, 
in in people's response is like, well, yeah, he's got all the money, and it's like, well, actually, that's why he's qualified to like speak yes with authority on yes. this is because he it's the Jim Carrey quote of. Uh, I wish everybody could become famous so that they realize how unfulfilling it actually is. Mm. Right. That's essentially what Rory was saying with that quote. He's the one that has lived that life, you know, and and that's where I'm at with like these are already rich athletes getting richer. Right. And like where the Eugenio Shikara stuff comes in, it's kind of like, dude, like that makes sense to me. Like, yeah, you're going to get a bunch of money and don't like necessarily have to prove yourself playing golf, whereas it's really hard to get it the other way. That makes sense to me. Whereas some of these dudes that have made a ton of money, I, I guess I, I relate this to like I go almost annually to JT's house to do a podcast every year. And I went there in 2018 and I went there in I didn't go this year, but I went there in 2021. And I, I think, you know, he's made I don't know how much money he's made in between that time period. Right. And the house looks the exact same. Yeah. It's a nice house. It is not like outrageous. Right. It is not someone that. Like, have you seen Pat Perez's house on Instagram? That place is outrageous. <laughs> outrageous, okay? And you could, yeah, the things he's spending money on, that's a separate topic. But watching, I guess I, I've kind of viewed it through that lens of, like, like that's a guy who's, the, like, the amount of money is just not going to change why he plays golf. Like, he is truly, inter- like, he has sponsors. He is interested in money. He goes to functions for money. Like, he... he he understands that there's, it's going to play a role. You're talking about JT. JT. Yeah. But, like, it doesn't define, like, what he wants out of golf. And if they offered him $500 million or a billion to do it, like, it just wouldn't change, like, what he, you know, wants out of it because he probably has more money than he's going to spend. Well, that, I go back to he had a quote during one of those sit-downs with him. I think it was – when did he win the quote hall? 2017? Yep. I think it was in 2018 maybe. And you said, like – and you've made a lot of money like what what's what's changed and he was like you know i i don't really have a ton of time to spend it yeah he's like sometimes i get a nicer bottle of wine when we go out to dinner and you're like it, it it's the warren buffett thing like you can only wear one tie at a time yeah. you know like that's his quote on money and so i just i don't know like this whole year was so much about i mean honestly like the normal sport version of this is like a bunch of us in the media were yelling about how much multimillionaire, how much more money multimillionaires yeah. were making all year. And so it was kind of like, this is dumb to begin with, but it was also, and this is where I, I kind of landed on live. It became like a, a, almost a prism through which you view the world. Yes. Right. It was this intersection of culture and p- politics and money. It wasn't about golf at all. And, and I don't mean that in the sports washing sense. I mean, in like a, the reason that you and I run to talk about live immediately after we start this podcast is because it's this intersection of things that everybody cares about, yeah. including us, you know, and, and it's, there's some morality in there. there. There's a bunch of different things wrapped up in it and it made the, it made it, it was tiring. It was exhausting, like to talk about it all the time, but it was also really interesting because yeah. it, it, it shaped, it both shaped how you view the world and it also informed others about how you view the world. You know who the guy, real quick, that I struggled the most with this year with Liv, Charles Howell. Yeah, I just, I just, it, it didn't. I don't get. I didn't get it. I don't. I don't understand. And he, he and I, and I'm curious about your take. I yeah. know you talked to him or whatever. He and I texted about it some. He wanted to kind of chat in person. I, I don't know. Like I just, I, str- I really struggled with that because a lot of these guys. A lot of this is like 
it's oversimplifying it to say it's the good guys and the bad guys, but right. it's not oversimplifying it by a ton, right? <laughs> like when you like at the end of the day, are you gonna you want to be in the camp of Pat Perez, Pat Reed, DJ uh, Brooks, Bryson. and Bryson? Yeah. Are you gonna be with Rory, Spieth, JT, Tiger? Yeah. Who do you want to be with? Yeah. And I struggled with the Charles Howe thing. I'm curious about I'm curious about your take on it. I didn't. I'm confused. Uh, this has been such a confusing year that it's easy just to not think about. I, I Charles and I, we don't talk nearly as much as we probably used to. But it was kind of like, yeah. I, I it's again. I just every individual has motivations for why they do it and whatnot. And I've never seen him as he's. We often joke about how much money he's made on the PGA Tour and yeah. how he's the perfect, you know, representative of go out to eat. any grocery store and nobody yeah. will say anything. Yet he's made forty million dollars on tour, whatever it is. Um, it, it's also just like I, 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 there is a, again a huge part of it that I get. Graham McDowell's quote that's in your book as well about like, dude, I'm tired of grinding out for one fiftieth on the FedEx. Yeah, stuff. like I, I have a great opportunity to make some money late in my career that's not going to always be there. That part makes a ton of sense to me. Like, would I have guessed that it would be Charles? No, I wouldn't have. But, like, on the surface of that decision, that's so different than what Cam Smith did, right? And it's like, largely, Charles Howe is irrelevant in golf. Like, he's a great personality, great guy to talk to, but PGA Tour events will not miss him, right? And he doesn't have much responsibility. I hate to, like, even be that high-minded about it to uphold, like, the like professional golf infrastructure, right? He's not a person that's going to... Like his effect on it is so different than like what DJ did, right? And so I just view that decision through a different lens than I do some of the dudes that are causing a cascading effect. I asked Xander about that, about, you know, are you going to, you know, when coming to his decisions about live, basically we kind of came to the conclusion, like you're not going to be one of the guys that starts the cascade, like of the falling effect. And he was kind of like, I don't know if I would be one of those guys. And I don't know, I don't remember if I actually pushed back, but I disagree with that. Like, I think if, some of the top competitive guys go, they also have the possibility of being followed into that. Whereas if the scale tips to the other side, then the competitive golf, it might be like irresponsible to not go. If you're going to like miss out on the competitive golf landscape. And I put Charles Howe nowhere near that. So he doesn't have that part of element of the decision that I think would matter in, at least from where I sit. Like I think Cam Smith's, um, again I hate to say like responsibility for holding up competitive golf is why I had such a problem with his part of the decision does that make any sense yeah it does I I think the responsibility thing is hard because and you you said this throughout the year I thought you were really consistent and good on it is like in a vacuum I understand like each individual decision right like you're incentivized to take a ton of money especially somebody like Cam Smith who two years ago he was a good player not an elite player and in 18 months he became like an elite player right and so boom it's like perfect timing for him to to be incentivized to to take that money and like is cam smith thinking about stewarding the game for future generations probably not yeah do do and is that an unreasonable expectation on a on a player maybe yeah that's that's where i'm like i'm aware that this is kind of high-minded and like it, borderline irresponsible to like project that onto someone in an individual sport like this. But that's where I sit. It just comes down to like what I think about it. That's how I feel. Right. I, I think that you are owed uh, something to the future of the game and to your fellow peers that this is costing in some way. And I just think if, if, if I was in that position, I would think I w- if my uncomfortable feeling I would have of looking other peers in the eye after it would drive my decision to say like, that's my gut telling me this is not the right thing to do. 
Yeah. I'm not in the situation, so I can't replicate that, but that's that's where I'm at on that. Yeah, and I think that's that goes back to, you know, why what Tiger and Rory thought this year is so meaningful. Because really, like, I mean, Tiger's like the the he's the bridging the gap right from this generation to the next and uh you know he his takes are so funny because he he almost is like smirking at like why would you even consider this yeah. i don't I, I mean i don't understand like he, he just it, that's not golf he, he's so principled i've made this point before on on our cbs podcast he's so principled in an in such an old school way that it's like he he can't he almost like can't even wrap his mind around the decision. Yeah, like Rory Rory can go back and forth, and he can like he can like convince you of both. Like he can talk you in into anything sort of. And Tiger's like, well, he can. <laughs> well, for sure, we'll get to him. I got two other things I want to get to, but and Tiger's just <laughs> so principled that he's like, well, play major championships. Yeah. Like it's all there is, you know, like. And I, I come back to why I project that a little bit on Cam Smith and people in general is guys like Rory and Tiger and JT that have taken this stand have like saved the competitive golf landscape, right? There are people that do in some way view it through that lens, right? That That's kind of my point overall is like the whole thing could have come down if a few more dominoes fall and it's still May, the whole thing could come to, could have come down. And if they didn't get together and start like figuring out what the future of the PGA Tour looks like, other options would have looked really appealing. What do you think? Do you think how how bad do you think you would be? Let's say everybody goes to live next year. So the PGA Tour just yep. disappears and everybody's at live. Rory, Tiger, yep. Spieth, everybody. How bad is that? Is that is that the worst thing in the world? It's not. Um, it's a total departure from what we know. But the whole thing. I guess my stance on this has always been because that's not going to happen. Live is a terrible thing for the golf world. Mm -hmm. They're not going to get everyone. They're just not like, I just don't know how Rory even hat in hand could go rolling back to live. Right. I mean, if everything fell down, I think those, well, someone's more likely to start their own tour than they are like go <laughs> hat in hand. Rory's playing the sunshine tour. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it would be. But like, I, I just don't, it, it's an interesting question. It's a, a hypothetical because I don't think it's possible for some of these guys to go do it at this point given the stances they've taken, but would it be the worst thing? No. I mean, I think eventually the sports washing would work on all of us and it would just become, you know, we would watch it and I would still want to maintain like people's awareness to a lot of the stuff that is going on. I think I would have that responsibility to the audience yet at the same time, like, is there a chance that would be some entertaining golf? I think so, but I kind of saw, I softened on the sports washing throughout the year. I'm, I said that in the book and, yeah. and it's not that I don't think that, I think some of this was like Lee Westwood and those guys, they acted like, Oh, well, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to change things for Saudi Arabia. And it's like, yo, it's the same regime. Yeah. They're not, they, 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 they acted like it was like, Oh, well they got a new leader and like things are different. <laughs> it's the same guy. The Khashoggi thing happened five months before the first Saudi international. Yeah. Like, it was already being organized. Like they're, they're dead set on like bad pun there, but like they're dead set on, you know, continuing their ways while also putting up this facade like that's the example right there and and so i think the reason that i soften on the sports washing stuff is do i think it's in like lives bylaws that they're gonna change the minds of the world to uh 
like love the Saudi the kingdom of Saudi Arabia more through golf? Not really. Do I think that's part of the 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 PI the public investment funds goal? Maybe. Yeah, probably like sort of, but they also I think are trying to diversify their income or whatever, their assets, their they're trying to get themselves off oil. They're trying to buy culture. Totally. And so I I just I I don't <sighs> I think at first I started out like, hey, this is blatant, like, sports washing. And I think that is, like, it's sort of baked into, like, what they do with everything, yeah. right? I just don't know that it's as at the forefront as I thought it was. What I will say is that there's some guy like, it, it, it's politically costly to go to live. Politically costly, maybe for Graham McDowell most of all. It's politically costly for a lot of those guys. Most of those guys don't care about what it costs them politically. DJ doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, Brooks, do, well, Brooks probably cares more than he lets on, but doesn't yeah. care. Sergio, whatever. Um, what the thing I was thinking about? I said this in the book. What happens if Khashoggi happens again? Yeah. What happens? So you've got four years of distance that buys you a little bit of space. If you're a Graham McDowell, if you're a DJ, if you're whoever, and you've got. Yasser, who's boys with MBS, like in his circle, yeah. signing your checks. I don't know if he actually signs them, but effectively, what do you what are you gonna what are you gonna say? What are you gonna yeah. do? How's that gonna go? Yeah. Like that's a that's a risk that these guys don't care about it, but they should. And that's where the difference of being like a spokesman for the regime is so different than like FedEx being uh, having Saudi investment. Yes. Like, do you, like Rory or JT or whoever wins the FedEx Cup doesn't have to stand up and like praise the Saudi government when they get checks from FedEx. Like they're they're and that's a public investment. That's just so far on the other end of the spectrum that it's just unnecessary noise that has clouded the the morality view of this whole thing. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, I don't know. I I don't feel overly qualified to preach or to even opine on morality of like I like golf, right? I know. I, I've I know. had to like learn how to do this this year, and like I'm not an expert on it. I shouldn't be, like I shouldn't be shaping anyone's opinion on any of this stuff. I feel like I should make people aware of it to like make their own conclusion on it and share what I think. But like, dude, I don't know. Like, do I? I don't want to pretend like I'm the most moral person. I think I'm a pretty good person, but <laughs> I don't want to pretend like I'm the most moral. I'm the moral compass of uh, of golf of any kind. But like. This year has kind of required that, and it's been a challenge. Yeah, and some of that's been some of that's been hard because you don't know, you don't know intentions, and you frankly, we don't. I don't know what MBS is doing today. <laughs> you know, like, it, and some of that is like it could be better than I think, worse. I don't. I don't know. And some of the whataboutism are like really good points. Yes. Of like, yes. Why, you know, why, why have I overlooked certain things as a part of totally? Like, it's a decent point. It's like it doesn't ignore the fact that this thing right here that we're talking about sucks. And like, part of the whataboutism stuff that I don't want to address is like, do you realize that has nothing to do with golf, right? Like, I'm not, right. That's so like I, we ha we're trying to relate all this global geopolitics crap in with how it relates to golf. Like, I'm not prepared to talk about. Like who makes the iPhone? Like you know, sweatshops making iPhones in China. Like, do you kind of see how far away this is from totally? From and it, it, I mean, the one that got me is like, well, the U.S. government does some bad stuff too. Sure. And you're like, well, when it's the WGC presented by the U.S. Treasury, sponsored by Alan Greenspan, yeah, 
Sure, we'll talk about that. Sure, but in, I don't want I don't want the, that to be a, a tour either. I don't want the U.S. to buy a tour and start I do, its own. I yeah. do, when government gets involved in culture and sports, it usually does not go well. Correct. Right, and and that was that was a big takeaway. Um, do we have time for two sure, other things? Let's do it. Okay, so uh, actually three, real quick. If you're listening and you want to buy the book. Uh, anormalsport.com. I didn't want to wait until the very end. What are we like an hour and a half in? But anormalsport.com. If you use the code NLU, uh, we're not doing any discounts this year because your boy DJ was so expensive to hire that I, I couldn't <laughs> afford to. But uh, if you use the code, you will be entered into a, a giveaway. So store credit uh, for the the NLU Pro Shop. Sweet. So just use that code. You're automatically entered, and we will give away at the end, uh, December 31st. We'll give away a handful of uh, gift cards to the the NLU Pro Shop. Buy the book, people. It's uh, I'm not being paid to say that. It's just it's great content. We have hardcovers this year. That's what I heard. I heard that. Yeah, I'm, I'll be sending you one. Shane Bacon doing the audio. Yeah. So we've got we got a we got some options this year. It's going to be a ton of fun. Revamped website. Uh, the two things I wanted to talk about. We can do it in any order. Uh, we haven't really had a Rory conversation. <laughs> which is wild (laughs) and then two i'd love to talk about just a little bit of the process of putting the book together and dj's involvement and and uh, just kind of how that went so should we go rory first let's do that okay where do you want to start where do you want to start uh the open i guess it um so the rory thing is interesting i'm curious to talk to you about this in that um, I am so gen. I'm just so genuinely impressed. This is where it borders on adulation. I don't know if I'm saying that word. But I, yeah, I, I know. I, and I know. That, but I want to explain why that is the case, right? It is. Um, we we've been fortunate enough to get to know the person, the human, and like spend a little bit of time with them, not talking golf and things like that. And it it's just like very. Cl- it's we're p- pretty decent judges of character, I think, and it's pretty clear that like. Every interaction I have with him in some way like makes me want to root for that guy. It's just like he has a way about him that I if I thought it was like covering up some uh if I thought it was a facade, if I thought it was covering up some evil doings he was doing in the background, I would feel differently than like having genuine like admiration for having this guy in golf. And I don't feel bad saying that. I know I'm supposed to be like objective, but like that is my objective opinion of everything he does off the course. And the way he handles things, it just makes you want to root for the guy. And I just I, somebody that de- he devotes, whether people realize this or not, he devotes so, so much energy into the entertainment aspect of golf. His interview with Paul Kimmage this past week that was out in the uh, I forget what paper it's I, for. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was like he talked about all of his golf over the last like eighteen months, and it, every part of it was interesting. Like he has made himself a subject of entertainment. And the, no, literally, maybe Tiger could do that, maybe Spieth, but no one else could I read about the evolution of their game over 18 months and be hanging on every word. That's kind of where kind of some of the uh, sometimes out of control admiration and rooting for him can come from. I know, but like I feel very uh, well footed for that kind of uh, again being in golf as a golf fan. Like that's a dude that's easy to root for. Yeah. So a couple of things. Uh, a couple, it- I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> It's crazy to me that he's a top 25 player ever, and he might be a better talker and, and like... Uh, Doing that at the same time, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, uh, that seems impossible. Like, Tiger, obviously the best ever. He's not a great talker. No. He's fine. Like, 
and and I don't mean like he can't speak. I just mean like, and, and, and Tiger even said this. He's like, listen to Rory. Well, and it's also a fair amount of like what Tiger does publicly speaking has a layer of like, all right, dude, that was kind of bullshit. Like, <laughs> just like refusing, you know, like he he has a way of brushing off a question. Like, yeah. oh, it's in the police report. Yeah. Whereas like, Rory steers head on into basically everything. And I think when you do that, you you make you expose yourself big time, mm-hmm. right? Because in Rory he did a pretty good job of this in 2022 think about think about your takes a year ago on live my takes six months ago on live and how how bad they sound now now think about him having to do that in front of a million people or whatever yeah and not cover your tracks but trying to um protect Navigate. protect yourself a little yeah. bit but also be honest that's freaking hard yep. like that's really difficult to do one thing I, I said this in the book and I've said it to you, I think before, like I love that you guys have uh, that you're fanalists in your, in your Twitter profile, because I think that there's this sort of old school mentality and I, and I understand it, but of like, Oh, well, sports writers and people covering stuff, we got to be objective. We right. can't, we can't root. And it's like, I don't know, man. Like I just, I like what I like, you know? And I think people gravitate towards some of that. It doesn't mean I can't say, Hey, Rory sucked in the second in the first round of the Masters or whatever. Yeah. But I think people gravitate toward that because that's how, they want to they want somebody like you who can explain what they're feeling. I go back on this when like podcasting was just like coming out, sports podcasting in general. Like Bill Simmons was the only thing yeah. going on. Yeah, I had no opinions on Boston sports at all. Yet I would listen to those every day and just like going through a fan's journey of everything that was going on in Boston at those times like was interesting content. There's yeah. way less, you know, if it was just factual, that would be, uh, that would have been way less interesting to me. Like there's a different, you can be subjective and fair in how things are presented. Totally. hundred percent. And I think, I think every, in some ways everybody's a little bit like our age as a derivative of Simmons, right? Yeah, like for sure. just, and it didn't mean we're mimicking or copycatting, but we kind of grew up on that. And I think that's sort of his legacy to all this. Anyway, I have always told myself and told like my kids, hey, be wary of kind of lionizing people you don't really know, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't really know Rory. I mean, I know him and in as much as like we have a professional relationship and um i'm thinking back to this i think it was a Stephen a snl thing it's like i know this man i shower with this man i cuddle with this man i know him okay <laughs> so i just i i, I tr- like nobody has tested that uh sort of ideal of mine more than him more than rory though yeah. right because he's so he's so good. He's so fun to watch, but he's also I'm going to I don't know if I'm supposed to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway, which is either how you get in trouble or how <laughs> how it goes well. He texted me after uh I sent him the book. He texted me kind of going back and forth and he was like, "Hey, send me the number of I won't say who, but one of your writers." I wanted to send them a note because I know they've been kind of going through a tough time. Hmm. 
like I just wanted to to check in on them, see how they're doing, send them something encouraging or whatever. And it's like, who who does that? Right. He's the number one player in the world. Right. He he. he and so like, and and I, I I tell that story because I think it's emblematic of like what you and I have kind of experienced behind the scenes a little bit. And that's why when people are like, well, why, why do you like Rory? And it's yeah. like, dude, like, how do you not? And again, it would, I think our radars are decent. And like, if he's like trying to fool everyone, do you know how hard of work that is? Like eventually, like if you're faking this in front of all of these people, eventually that's just like actually who you are. <laughs> like, you, you know, it, it's impossible to kind of fake it to the level. Basically I'm saying like, we're, it's not like we can't see through bullshit. Right. And it's not like we can't be critical of them totally. at times when it happens. And I've, I've, uh, you know, I've at times I've I felt like I've risked our relationship by th- with things I've said on the podcast about decisions he's made or approaches yep. he's taken to it. But he also can handle criticism. I really think well. and I think he's actually and there are the, most of the top guys are like this. I think they're actually embarrassed when you don't criticize them. Yeah, because they're like, oh, well, you you don't you're not like, yeah, re, you're not like a professional. Right. You know, that's a good point. I think I think that when you're critical of them, they're like, oh, he as long as you're not being like personal or like ridiculous one it also it, it's a reflection of their character if you will when you do criticize them if that maintains your relationship right i mean we we were i think we addressed the jt slur situation as fairly and objectively and as critically as we could have and i, I told him that we had to do this and he was like i totally understand yeah. completely like yeah. it's just it he really was, can be that simple where some players they like ends your relate like i've had relationships with players end because you know, we've had to say critical things about them. And yeah. 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 It's a weird spot. It is. Uh, so in the book, I actually ended up a lot of the Rory chapters. I like just the way it shook out. I didn't write them. Other people wrote them or I was curious about that. I was like, yeah, did you have to abstain? <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't purposeful. So by the end of the, by, by the end of it all, we'd written all this stuff. We'd spent, I, I had to recuse myself. Two, yeah, exactly. We spent two months just grinding on all this content. And I was like, man, I didn't, I didn't really write about Rory in this book that much. I mentioned a couple of things. I somehow made the tiger chapter about Rory, which was, which was <laughs> absurd, impressive. but I ended up writing a, an appendix, just like an essay on Rory, which you probably haven't gotten, haven't gotten to, gotten yet. to yet. Yeah. It's no. the very last one. The, there's a footnote in there that says, "If you thought I was gonna, I was gonna publish a 400-page book and not write an essay about Rory, you would be wrong." <laughs> so the word that I used for Rory's entire 2022 was grace. So this idea of grace, I think grace is such an interesting word because it has so many different definitions. I kind of compared him physically to uh, to Federer when I talked to him in uh, July. I'm so glad you didn't say Jesus. I thought you were going to. <laughs> When I talked to him in July, he he started to say like he said something like in my head I'm more Nadal than Federer, and in and in my head I was like what are you talking about <laughs> like, and then he eventually said but I just don't have Nadal's grit and will and toughness and all those things, and I've always thought he like Rory was Federer just from the way he like his move at the ball is very graceful the way he plays I think is very graceful it's very fun and in in. Uh, compelling and enthralling to watch but I also thought he had a lot of grace as it related to all the live PGA Tour stuff the way he talked about it did he get some shots in for sure did he talk at the Canadian Open about how he had one more win than Greg Norman absolutely but 
privately and publicly, I think he really wrestled with like, these guys are my friends and I don't like, I don't know what to do with all this. I don't know what to think about it. And I thought that he really handled everything, um, really with a lot of grace, you and, know, and humility at times he had to bite a couple things of like, yeah, I called it. I said it was dead in the water. Like yeah. I got to readdress this. And like for some of he's got, he put himself out there a ton. Like it's super easy to say nothing when, when it, you know, it gets way easier to just kind of lie in the weeds and be, I mean, just pulling like Xander Shoffley or Cantley have not like been vehemently against this thing, right? Or have not been weakly addressing this yeah. as it relates to the grand scheme. They've talked yeah. about their own decision making, but like they're not, you know, represent. Like I don't know. It's you didn't. You don't have to put yourself out there, and it's unsafe to put yourself out there as in the forefront as much as he has. Yeah, totally. And you know, there was he had this line at the U.S. Open where he said. You know, somebody asked, like, are you doing, are you playing well this year because of Liv or whatever, which I think is true. Like, he's very extrinsically motivated, right? Like, you think about the times where he's played great after the Ryder Cup last year, uh, after Portrush in 2019. He has these, like, markers where he'll just, it, when he's extrinsically motivated, he'll just take off. And so, but anyway, he said, he said, no, I just, like he was talking about the leadership that he was kind of like putting himself out there like every other day, it seemed like. And he said, he said something like, I'm, I'm not, I don't see myself as like this leader of sport or like the leader of the two, you know, it's, I'm not doing it to motivate myself. I'm just being me. And I was like, yeah, dude, like that's the point. Yeah. You know, like that's the point of all this is, is that he's just being himself. And I think that, that line whether you believe it or not I think you and I do believe it and that's why we're so drawn to somebody like him uh as as we I mean I I again you don't want to overstate it but like I I am so glad that our careers have coincided with his that's kind of what I was getting ready to say you know like yeah it's such a it's such a I I don't want to say privilege because like whatever, but like (laughs) I, I I feel a lot of joy and gladness that I get to somebody sent me a DM the other day that said, you need to only write about Rory. I was like, that's all I do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But this person said, because it it draws the best out of you. And I was like, Oh, I, I hadn't really thought about that. Like I, I just, I'm sort of just being me. Like I'm just trying to write or, you know, talk or whatever. And so I just I feel a lot of gratitude that our careers have coincided with his like the meat of his career as well. I I mean, we owe a lot of our careers to him. I mean, he was one of the first big guests we ever had. It was he said great things about no laying up in the podcast. And that was like would encourage me to quit my job. Like yeah. it was it. I don't we wouldn't be sitting in this room if it wasn't for for that guy. And it's not like I again, kind of when I, when we got borderline on the excessive of praising him, it's not because. It's not all because of that. that we feel like we owe him. It's just it is uh, like you said. It's just like very, very fortunate to have. Um, and I think he feels the same way. Of like he's, you know, helping usher in a new era of like golf content that makes golf more, more entertaining for people. I think is kind of um, not. That's not. It's not meant as a jab to like press reporters and people that are asking questions in press conferences. But I think it. Um, is he's helped usher in a year, uh, an era of content of just like a younger generation, I think. And totally. 
yeah, I, I think we probably made it all worse. All the Rory and admiration with this conversation, <laughs> but it's just, just the point of like, it, 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 there's a, I feel very comfortable having gotten to this conclusion about who we're talking about and the entertainment he provides. I mean, it's the, the, uh, part of what makes golf super intriguing is what happened at the old course this year and what happened of like putting yourself out there to potentially be heartbroken, like to be totally crushed. Like that is so much of what golf is. Mm -hmm. And, um, it may be he's eternally damned to that for the rest of his career. Like, you know, the more you want these one specific things, the less likely it's probably to happen. And, um, I just have I have admiration for the athletes that you know put themselves out there to get themselves absolutely crushed like he yeah. probably was. After that's that's course. what he did. I asked him in that presser as I mean it was such a surreal scene because Cam's getting the trophy like a hundred yards away, yeah. and Rory's answering our questions. And I said, "Did you did you think about it? Did you think about winning, holding the trophy, you know, drinking from the claret jug?" He said, "Yeah, I was. Uh, I was in my hotel every night at the at the Russics across the street, looking up at the leaderboard, and I saw my name at the top, and I just tried to envision it being there at the end of the week." And he said, "It was, the, and it was there every day, and now it's not going to be tomorrow." And it was just such a moment of like, and then he calls Cam two days later and congratulates him, yeah. and that was part of the grace thing. But it's such a, uh, you know the romance I had never been to the old course and the romance of the old course, I thought like coinciding with his heartbreak. Yeah. Like my, I think the line that I used was like the risk of romance is of course, tremendous heartbreak. Yeah. Right. And that's what it was. Yep. I mean, people are like, Oh, you got all you clowns in the media just wanted to Rory to win. There was like, 97% of the people that were on the ground that also week also clowns apparently were also clowns <laughs> that's all people were talking about yep. the only thing in bars in restaurants getting coffee Rory 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 like that was it and was that you going around to the coffee shops shouting I was Rory <laughs> I had a sign hear me, hear me. I was wearing a sandwich board <laughs> me and me and Horschel were just making declarations <laughs> up and down St. Andrews that was the tournament of the year and I think that I think you're right. Like him putting himself out there to get just, I mean, can you imagine that he's talked about like that night, that Sunday night, because it's not, it's not like the masters for like, okay, next year it's the old course. And it's, you get one more for him, one yep. more rip at it. And he's going to be like 38 yep. or whatever, maybe older. Like that was, that was it. Yeah. Right. And that has to be just from a, not even a golf standpoint, but from a time standpoint, just kind of overwhelming. Sure. That's, but that, that is again, so much of what defines watching golf and playing golf for so many people is like the heartbreak. Like it's just, it is so fleeting. That's what made this open so historic. And I regret none of the romanticism about the moment, the, yeah. the week. I mean, and Joel wrote about it beautifully in the book as well. Of just how can you not be romantic about this? Like, this is it. Like this is the pinnacle of, of this sport. And yeah. it's such a weird time. It was, um, it was weirdly representative of, you know, so many things, uh, just the, yeah, the, the minute it's almost like everyone wants, you know, almost everyone wants this guy to win. That's when it just gets ripped away from you. Totally. So, yeah. Well, I think we've sufficiently, uh, praised Rory. I think that's enough. good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was, it was an interesting year for him. It was an interesting year to cover, uh, him 
And again, I just, I'm, I'm tremendously grateful to have this period of time coincide with, you know, what is us writing books and making podcasts and, and all that stuff. It'll be fun to sit down someday and have a beer and talk about all that. Well, I'm just, as we, you know, KBV and I do these major championship deep dives back in history and like going to the archives that, and things that nobody was asking for. Nobody was asking for that. I, I was asking. For I them. guess some people were, but <laughs> people seem to love them. But it, uh, it is now I view the everything like these books are going to be such an incredible resource for the future of like looking back at golf. Right? Yeah. That's a weird way of phrasing a future of looking back at golf, but this is going to be a big documentation thing because we there's so much stuff in there that like I just forget about like Zal towards the U.S. Open this year. Like how the hell do I forget about that? That was a I huge know. part of like my job this year. Yeah, it's so fleeting with so much going on that you forget about some of these moments. I'll never forget Fitz winning it, but you might forget who the close call. You might forget the one ball that plugs in the bunker that cost somebody a major, and uh, that's what makes you know reading something like this um, for somebody that has lived. All of this past year in great detail, the stuff that I was reminded of or learned in this book is extreme. It's surprising to me. I guess, yeah. Will. Well, I think I think your encouragement last year of like, hey, you got to, you know, you have to do this for the next twenty five years yeah. was like in my mind all year, <laughs> and you know, I I I had a lot of um, health issues this year, which I wrote about in the intro of the book, and people can read that. And it was a hard year for me personally in a lot of ways, um, but your both your encouragement i know you were kind of joking last year but kind of not no no no. and then your encouragement this year of just like when i sent you the chapters of how much you enjoyed it that that really is like life-giving to hear that from somebody who you know is doing this stuff all the time and i think that you know to to transition to the last thing i wanted to talk about like having a team and i again i wrote about this in the intro like i loved having a team working on the book this year like inviting people in uh, we had, I think 11, 10 or 11 total people working on it from, uh, Brennan Porath was kind of the head of doing our editing, Beal, Claire Rogers, DJ wrote a chapter. He actually refused, I was joking earlier. He refused for me to pay him for it, which was absurd, but he's like, you've done like 4,000 hours on the podcast. <laughs> I think I can write like, I think I can write a chapter. <laughs> That's fair. So anyway, we we decided to, for transparency's sake, we decided to give that money to the Evans Scholars Fund. So yeah, that was cool. But um, so those guys, uh, obviously Jason Page. I think Jason Page is actually running golf. Like he's the commissioner. (laughs) Like he's doing illustrations for everybody. You guys, me, Shotgun Star Boys, um, Bacon doing the audio, and uh, I'm trying to think. I'm leaving people off here. Um, Jeff Smith was our website guy. Hannah Diner was our copy editor. That's my friend. Phil did the audio editing who, who does stuff for you guys. Um, so yeah, it was just, it, for me, it was a tremendous joy to get to kind of lead that team. And also to like, I mean, so much of, of your podcast is like, what can I say to make this person laugh? Right. How can I make Tron laugh? How can I make Neil laugh? And, and that was this book for me. How can I write something that'll make poor Ath laugh? Yeah. Poor Ath is hard. Like, He's a hard person to like say something where he genuinely laughs. He says stuff all the time that makes the rest of yeah. us laugh, but the going the other way is difficult. And so I think it made the product better. Yeah. Like I think the writing was better. I think I think it, hopefully it was funnier. And that part of it for me was just uh, th- that was a ton of fun. I really enjoyed getting to do that. 
you're you're honing in on the details and intricacies of golf is when you really like break things really down it does just make you laugh of just the, <laughs> no, uh, no better example than the blades of grass around the sprinkler head at the match play it's just like it on the surface like this is so uninteresting and can glance right by yeah. or if you really get into it it is so freaking absurd yes and, uh, yes it, it does provide a lot of laughs so yeah, for sure remind people again where they can buy it in the code anormalsport.com and we've got uh, hardcover, digital, however you audio, whatever you want. Um, we've got last year's stuff. We've got some. The uh, illustrations are actually posters that you can purchase. Uh, and then if you use NLU at checkout, uh, again, it, there won't be a discount, but there will be. You'll be automatically entered into a giveaway for uh, some NLU uh, Pro Shop gift cards. Love so that. that'll be uh, yeah. It, uh, that and that drawing will be on at the end of the year. So just the end of December, December thirty first. And part two of this podcast on Rory will be out next week. Um, as, well, we haven't even, we haven't even started talking about lineups for the Ryder Cup. Oh, so we got, we, we got, we'll be doing many of those <laughs> check-ins this year. So glad we can do this in person, man. Thanks again for for writing it. I do encourage people to go buy it and helping us recap the last year, the wildest year probably that will be of our careers if we're lucky. So. Ab- absolutely. Thank you as always for having me. I, I never uh, never take it for granted that I get to come on and. Promote, Shill your book. promote the yeah. I mean, I'm no better than the live guys, honestly. Uh, no, I, I don't take that for granted. It's it's been fun over the years, and uh, I'm I'm grateful to get to do it. Cheers, buddy. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything.